Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester's CX Cast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. Along with my co-host, analyst Deanna Lawfer, my name is Sam Stern. You will hear both of our voices each week. Hello, <laughs> CX Cast audience. Welcome to this week's episode. My name is Sam Stern, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Diana. Hello. Hi. And this week, uh, it will just be the two of us, and we are going to talk about last week's customer experience forum in New York City. And I did not attend, um, as strange as that might sound, as a member of the CX team. Uh, it will explain maybe in another episode. Uh, but Diana was there, and we wanted to ask you, Diana, about um, some of the big topics, some of the big themes, maybe any key takeaways from the forum that we could share quickly with our listening audience. Yeah, definitely. It was an exciting event. We had about 1,600 people on site at the Hilton in New York, and uh, from the people I talked to, it seemed like they learned a lot from the speakers, and so excited Excellent. to talk about it. Was there a big theme or a couple of themes for this year's forum? We went with five themes. Five? So, wow. Yeah, we couldn't even settle on one or three, <laughs> so we went with five. Um, they were CX and emotion, so what role does emotion play in customer experience, and that came out of some of Megan Burns' research from the forum last year, actually, and so she's mm -hmm. been doing a lot of research around that topic. Um, the second theme was competitive advantage, so looking at whether customer experience re really matters to business success yep. and what does that look like. The third theme was around design. What is design? How do you elevate experiences with design? I think it's always a bit of a fuzzy topic, and so we had a lot of good speakers actually bringing um, a little grounding to what design means for customer experience. The fourth topic was innovation. So why is innovation necessary for becoming a CX leader, and how do you drive innovation within your organization? Um, and then finally, culture. How do you drive a customer-centric culture? One of the, the hardest things to do as a CX leader. So we had both Forrester speakers and industry speakers around all of those topics. Wow. That must have been a, a really packed two days of content. Yes. <laughs> and I, I can't say I was even able to juggle my schedule to see all of the great speakers we had, but I think we, we had at least two things going on at all times. But right. It really and great. It's, it's always supposed to sort of make you feel like you're choosing between at least two things that you really would like to attend. So um, were there some speakers or some, some content that really stood out to you that you'd share with our listening audience? Yeah, definitely. So around that first big theme, CX and Emotion, we actually had two great speakers from Forrester talking about that. The first was Anjali Lai. Um, she is an analyst on our Data Insights Innovation Team. Mm -hmm. um, so she uses a lot of different um, data, so our, our consumer survey data, behavioral studies, social listening, and Forrester's online community to collect insights about how um, emotion impacts the customer experience. And she shared three lessons on stage actually about creating emotional experiences. Um, one of them that I thought was a good takeaway was that you should prioritize those moments that are inherently most emotional for customers. You can't really control um, the emotion of, the, of every experience that your customers right. have. There's thousands of interactions and touch points. So prioritize those that are most important. So, for example, Discover putting the FICO credit score on its customer's bill 
you know, that opening of the bill, looking at your monthly, um, your credit card, that's a charged interaction. That's probably one of the highest emotionally charged interactions you have with your credit card company. Yep. Um, and also, um, Anjali found that consumers were very anxious about that moment, about yeah. the spending that they would see every month. But by putting the credit score on the um, on their statement, it actually calmed them hmm. about their financial situation. Okay, so I love that example from Discover. We've talked about um, the emotional um, theme from the day. Uh, were there other sort of speakers or speeches that uh, jumped out at you? Yeah, so Anjali's um, one big takeaway seems to be that CX Pro's seem to under-prioritize emotion. There was mm. a pre-event survey and asked, you know, what is most important to you? Emotion, ease, or effectiveness. Those are the three big yep. things we ask about on our CX index. And um, emotion was number three for a lot of people, even though it's the biggest driver of loyalty in 17 of 18 industries that we look at. Um, and so Megan's wow. big takeaway was that you don't have to be an emotion expert um, there are lots of people that have been studying emotion for, for years and years, and there are some sort of hard-won lessons that you can look to without yep. being an expert. Um, so, for example, always end an experience on a high note. Right. There's basically two big things that people remember about, about an experience. It's the, the highest emotion part of the experience and then the end. Right. Um, and the so, peak end rule. Exactly. So if you can prioritize that, then you're already doing something right. And so she shared an example of a colleague um, who had some kind of, you know, super platinum, awesome status on um, Delta Airlines, but she booked a flight late, and so she got stuck in the middle seat. Nothing they could do about it. Um, that's the way it goes. But instead of the experience ending there with her being in a middle mm -hmm. seat, they actually extended the experience by sending her an email um, following the experience saying, you know, sorry, well, you had to sit in the middle seat. Here's five extra, 500 extra miles Mm. Um, to make it worth your while. And they actually have a program behind this. It's called Middle Seat Mondays, um, <laughs> where they they basically apologize to their um, status members and they give them extra miles so that the experience does end on a high note. Yeah, well, that's a great example of we you know, couldn't or didn't in time intervene to fix the experience of the middle seat, but that doesn't prevent us from still doing something about it. And, 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 I, and I like the idea, too, of acknowledging, hey, that wasn't great. And we care enough about you that we're, going, we're, we're apologizing for that, even though on a plane, um, fully one third of people basically just about, if it's a full plane, have to sit in middle seats. So Right. But, but if they do something like that, then it's less likely she's going to remember the experience of being squished in the plane and more likely she's going to remember, hey, Delta cares about me. They're giving me extra miles um, because they care about me as a customer. Yep. Got it. I like that example. Um, okay, great. So two, two strong speakers on emotion. What were some of the other big themes that stood out to you? So we had a lot of great speakers in the design sessions yep. from IBM, from Wells Fargo, and from Ministry of Supply. And one common thread that ran through a lot of these speeches was the importance of ethnographic research. So yeah. actually getting out, observing customers in their own environment. Sometimes that can be home, that can be in a shopping mall, um, to really understand their needs and expectations um, because it's very difficult to do that through an interview or a focus group where it's an, in an unnatural environment. Right. Yeah. So going to their natural environment as well as the sort of deep question and feedback you'd get from an interview. Uh, tell me, sorry, um, can you tell me what Ministry of Supply 
does? What's their business? Yeah, so they're a small company trying to remake men's fashion. They don't have a lot of stores. I think they have one in Boston, actually, on, on Newberry Street downtown, and oh. they have one in New York. Um, but they're actually the, – the founders came out of MIT, so they're bringing oh. more of a – Noted fashion house, <laughs> MIT. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're, yeah, home of many fashion designers. But um, they're bringing more of a technology and design approach to men's fashion. And so the co-founder and head of experience of Ministry of Supply, Kit Hickey, talked about um, – and I, and I found this fascinating because I don't actually know a lot about the fashion industry, but traditionally in the fashion world, it's a very linear process to develop products, right? It starts with some designer in a room yep. who has this inspiration. Maybe he makes some sketches. Um, they make some samples. It goes into production, and then it gets um, sent out to the stores or wherever this, you know, wherever the fashion is going to be on display. Um, it's the very antithesis to this idea of design thinking and iterative design where right. you are constantly testing and getting customer feedback right. and making changes. And so they're trying to bring design thinking into what they do at Ministry of Supply. That's really interesting. It's in, in particular because they're fashion designers and they, they use almost no design principles, right, as we think of them in the customer experience world of that, you know, constant iteration, constant feedback from users, customers, and, and bringing that into the design, to your point. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. So, so one thing, for example, that Ministry of Supply is doing is they have a labs section of their website yep. um, where they introduce new projects, which mm -hmm. I guess would be like maybe a new men's shirt or something, and they will test it out in small batches, and they'll make it clear to whoever's buying it, you know, we're testing out this product. And people who are or early adopters, you know, are probably most likely to buy them, provide feedback. And if it's really successful, once they've made a couple iterations, then they'll move that to the main section of their site. Right. And if it's not successful, then they just cut the product. Right. Um, and it seems so much smarter than the, the, the main model of retail where you think about they're making a guess on yeah. something that consumers are going to like. They make huge quantities. It goes into stores. And then what happens? Half of it ends up on the sale rack because people actually didn't want the product. Yeah, and I think I feel like that model they're in a tough spot no matter what, right? If it if it's a failure, they've got extra inventory, they've got to put it on deep discount. If it's a success, they probably didn't make enough. And so they can't even harness all the upside because they sell out of the product. Um, and, you know, then have to scramble to try and make new production or, you know, fashion moves on and it, they missed a part of their opportunity there. Yeah, exactly. So Ministry of Supply is trying to, trying to bring what we traditionally consider design thinking into fashion design where it's sorely missed right now. <laughs> um, and then another theme in the design tracks, um, which I sort of alluded to, ethnographic research, um, that's something that Mark McCormick from Wells Fargo mm -hmm. talked a lot about his in his presentation. They have a big effort at Wells Fargo right now. Um, to do ethnographic research in their customers' homes. And they, he presented about 10 or 11 um, big insights that they had. And one I found was really interesting. It was about how banks market to couples instead of individuals because uh -huh. they think couples have a singular need around money and around financials. And they actually found through the interviews that couples think very differently about their financial security, about money. Um, it's obviously a huge problem for a lot of couples and, and That you know, they think money. differently? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, he showed a video with this one woman 
who I guess had a spending problem. And so she and her husband set up the system where anytime she spent over $150, um, it would create an automatic alert and he would be alerted. <laughs> so, wow. so she would try to game the system. So <laughs> she and her family were going to the beach and they needed new swimming suits and new shoes. And she knew it was going to be over $150. So, so she split it into two transactions <laughs> at the register. So the two transactions were, were, were each individually under $150. So her husband didn't get, didn't get the alert. She still told her husband about it, but she basically delayed having that conversation that they needed right. to have, which is, you know, hey, I think the kids need new stuff. And he might say, yeah, but do they need brand name stuff? Why did you have to spend so much money? So, you know, that was just one example. But this, this big insight for Wells Fargo, which is, you know, don't market to couples, market to individuals, think about their needs separately. Yeah. Well, and think about their needs separately and how those the tension in between two individual people having this some joint financial decisions and relationship together. Right. Yeah, exactly. And maybe create a way for people for couples to have a conversation around money, um, because that can be really important in a relationship. Yeah, that's great. And we all know women be shopping. So (laughs) all the time (laughs) cutting that part out. Um, Okay, so now we've talked about emotion. We've talked about design. Any of the other big themes that you want to summarize for our audience? Yeah. One other theme that I thought um, was really great was around innovation. Um, Our own colleague, Tony Costa, kicked off the innovation track with an inspiring speech about how CX pros say that their executives want them to be CX leaders in their industry or even across all industries. But when you look at what they're doing, it's they're you know, primarily focusing on fixing bad experiences or setting up processes to avoid those bad experiences, which um, don't get me wrong, and this is something that Tony emphasized, you know, is very important, is integral to being a CX professional and is something that you absolutely have to do, but it's not enough to get you to those aspirations of being a CX leader in your industry. You don't find and fix your way to differentiation. No, exactly. So Tony talked about why, while even though CX pros don't necessarily lead innovation efforts um, in their company, they can foster an environment to support innovation. Um, one way they can do that is by setting up programs to, to rally the troops, so to speak, whether they're employees or um, customers. And this is something that Starbucks does with its My Starbucks Idea website, where customers can submit ideas for Starbucks pro- uh, products and then vote on the best. And so there have been lots of ideas that came up on this website that actually have gotten made. So like Cake Pops, apparently, was a My Starbucks idea. And oh. it's now a huge seller for Starbucks. <laughs> um, cake Pops and sort of the, individu- the idea of individual snack size type snacks. Um, the first idea implemented from My Starbucks idea was those little green stirrers that you can put in the hole in your cup. That, that covers the hole. Covers so when you're walking hole. with it. Exactly. So it doesn't splash up on your shirt. I... That is a great idea because I remember when they started doing that, I said, this is, this is a phenomenal example of a company understanding the full interaction with their product because you wouldn't necessarily expect Starbucks to watch you walk out you know, with your, your, your tray of four coffees or the office hero, and by being the office hero, you've sacrificed your shirt because it <laughs> spills all over you on your way. Right. And now I'm realizing they didn't even have to. I mean, that's the, the genius of my Starbucks ideas. They could get that feedback from users saying, hey, when I'm walking back with all these coffees, it's spilling all over me. This is frustrating. Yeah. You should do something about that. And I need a stir anyway. So 
serves two purposes. Right. And Starbucks is lucky enough that they have a passionate enough um, customer base that they're going to freely give them these ideas. But other brands um, probably have similarly passionate customers and could tap into them in this kind of way as well and get basically get these ideas for free, which is what Starbucks is doing. Yeah. That's great. I love that one. Um, Okay, well, well, thank you, Deanna, for giving us a quick rundown from uh, last week's customer experience forum. Uh, for Forrester clients, there are um, videos being posted um, on Forrester's YouTube channel, but also on Forrester.com from the event, if you want to check out some of these speakers. And there's a lot of related research that got posted um, during or just after the forum. And I, I think um, if you want to hear more about innovation, about emotion, about design, you can go to our site and check out reports like uh, Tony uh, Costa's new report called the CX Innovation Imperative. Uh, Anjali, who Diana mentioned earlier, wrote a report called What Do Excellent Emotional Customer Experiences Look Like? And um, Leah Buley, our colleague uh, who, who spoke on culture but um, writes a lot about design, uh, just released a report called User Experience Capabilities Assessment. And so I think those are all be good ones uh, to check out uh, to learn more about the themes that Deanna and I were just discussing. Yeah, and if, if, um, if people were unable to join us in New York, we will have uh, two more forums this year, one in San Francisco in October and one in London in um, when I'm in November, one in London in November, where we'll be talking about a lot of the same themes, but we'll have new speakers um, and new insights as well. So good for people who came to New York and especially relevant for people who could not make it. Exactly. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you on next week's CX Cast. Thank you for listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at sstern at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality. Thank you.